Welcome to Impact Church's podcast with Pastor Travis Hearn. Pastor Travis also serves as the team pastor for the NBA's Phoenix Suns and has served Major League Baseball as the team chaplain for over a decade. Today, he leads us with a powerful and hope-filled message. We're so glad you're tuning in, and we believe that wherever you're listening from, that God will impact your life through today's message. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life. I want to start by reading in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, I don't know if my team has this ready for you yet or not. Hopefully they do. I gave it to them kind of last minute. And, uh, and so I want to read Matthew 24. These are the words of Jesus himself. It says in verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Verse 4, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah and I will, and will deceive many. Sorry about that. And will deceive many. Verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Because a lot of people get alarmed over all the war talk. I've been hearing about World War III is coming since I was about five. My grandmother, my grandma Lee, she used to watch the news every night. And she would tell me that World War III is about to happen. And here we are 9,000 years later. And World War III has not yet happened, but we get alarmed. And so he says, see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. So even when those things happen, the end isn't quite here yet. It says there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And then Jesus says something interesting. He says, all these are the beginning of birth pains. These are the beginning. Okay, What's the beginning? The, the things he laid out there. This will be wars, rumors of wars. There's going to be some earthquakes, some famines. This is, this is the beginning of the end. Now, I don't know exactly where we are in the timeline of birth pains. But I do know that as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ, it's going to get more and more intense, just like it does for a pregnant mama as she gets closer and closer to her delivery. So Jesus spoke at length. This isn't the only part, but you can study that on your own about the end times. What are the signs? Here's what to look for. Paul also talked to Timothy about the end times. So in Timothy uh, chapter 3, 2 Timothy, he says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, listen, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then it says, have nothing to do with such people. Now, this sounds crazy, doesn't it? It sounds to me like we're in the end times. I mean, could there be another verse, passage, that summed up what we are living in today than this one right here? This is it. It sums up the world perfectly. We are in the end times. It might be the beginning of the end. It might be the middle of the end. But we are fastly approaching what Jesus talked about thousands of years ago. It's right here in front of us. And so we are in a spiritual battle of our lifetimes. The scary thing is, is that most of the world is completely oblivious to it. They're clueless. They have no idea. But this is exactly why the world has gone absolutely mad. It's because it's spinning out of control on a global scale because we are getting closer and closer and closer and closer to the return 
of our Savior. Isn't that good news? I know some of you are terrified, but it's because you're not right with God. Some of you today are terrified because you're thinking like, man, I'm not living right. I'm not right with God. But see, when you're living right, when you're right with God, you're not afraid of it at all. You're actually excited about it. I'm excited. Isn't it great to be a part of a generation that is approaching the end times? I mean, the world is crazy, Sam. And I like the royal blue suit. That's like Kansas City Royals, baby, right there. I, the world has gone crazy. I mean, yes, we have this, whatever this thing is, this pen something or another, demic. We've got, is it real? Is it not real? Is it partially real? Then we've got fake news from every, from every news source. Don't look at me like your news source is the true news source. Every news source, you got fake news, you got support supply chain problems in 2022 I can't get my favorite kind of bottled water right now because it's stuck in some freaking ship in the Pacific Ocean I guess I seriously can't get certain things I had my gas my fuel filter went out on my Dodge Ram and I went to get a new one and they said to get another Dodge fuel filter it's gonna be six to eight months with supply chain issues Remember we, a year ago we blamed everything on COVID? Now everything's blamed on the supply chain issues. And we don't even understand what's going on. But there's, co there's COVID camps going on around the world. A nine-year-old girl was arrested in New York last week for not having her vaccination papers. Look it up. I'm not lying. Well, I might be lying. If I'm lying, it's because the news is lying. I'm just telling you what I've been told. Wars, rumors of wars, underwater volcanoes, or whatever that was. I mean, it is getting wild around here. It is getting crazy. It's getting crazy because we're getting closer. This is nothing on, on, on God's surprise, like, woo, my surprise list. I had no idea. This is all by design. We're getting closer and closer. And I said this last week, and I want to say it again, is that spiritual battles require spiritual weapons. Spiritual battles require spiritual weapons. We say it out loud. Spiritual battles require. They do. And too many times we fight the right battles with the wrong weapons. Too many times we approach the right war with the wrong weaponry. And if you fight this battle with the wrong weapons, you will be defeated. Now, I read these two verses last week. I'm going to probably read them every week of this series. I want to read it again. 2 Corinthians 10:4. The word says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Okay, Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Let's read this out loud together. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Look at somebody you came to church with right now. Look at him right now and tell him, you're not my problem. <laughs> tell him, you're not my problem. <laughs> look, at, look at him again. Look at him again. Look at him again. Tell him, you are a problem. <laughs> tell him, tell him, you're just not my problem. You are a problem. You're just not my problem. See, what, what the devil does is he's, a, he's the devil, the devil does an excellent job of making us believe that you are my problem and that I am your problem. He makes us buy this lie that we are to fight against each other. He does a great job of making us all believe that the battle is against one another. Listen, I hope you'll help me spread this word around the world, but our battle is not race versus race. Our battle is not nation versus nation. Our battle is not left versus right or conservative versus liberal. Our battle is not against another human or another set of humans. It is against the spiritual forces of evil in this dark world. Somebody say this out loud. Somebody say, the devil is a pansy. Say it. 
He's a pansy. He's a pansy. If he's like the senior pansy. He's the pansies of all pansies. He is a, the, the, the reason I say the devil is a pan, do you know what a pansy is? See, what the devil does is he swings at you and then he hides and he points blame that it was somebody else. That's a pansy move. You attack me, you come at me, and then you go hide and act like it was somebody else. That's a pansy. The devil is a pansy. That's who he is. See, but the, the problem is, is that the issue, the problem, the battle has never been against another human being, ever. It has never been against another nation. It has never been. It's always been against the enemy of God. And that is Satan. That is Lucifer himself. Listen, when you know who your real enemy is, now you know who to fight. When you know the game, now you're not going to get played. And we need to teach people the game because spiritual weapons are required for spiritual battles. So what weapons, what weapons do we fight with? Last week we talked about one of them. And was anybody here, does anybody remember? Weapon, what was it? No, today's the word. You read the title. There, listen, there are... There are 1,700 seats in here or something like that. So say there's 1,500, 1,400. I don't know what there is of you in here. And, and, and how many of you were here last week? Raise your hand. Okay, so not even half of you were here last week, which is, which is average, they say. Okay, but one person out of all of you gave the right answer. So, so next week, I'm preaching last Sunday's message again. <laughs> last week, we talked about the weapon of, thank you, weakness. And how our weakness can become a weapon if we surrender it to God. So today, I want to look at the weapon of God's word because his word is a weapon. Now listen, the Bible is not some old ancient historical book of rules and good ideas and cute stories. Okay? The Bible is a spiritual weapon. The Bible holds power. Supernatural, Holy Ghost filled power. That's what the word is. It's a spiritual weapon. It's not just for reading. It's for living. It's not just to be read, but to be lived out, to be walked out, to allow the word of God to work in your life and through your life. It is a weapon. I want to read to you as we begin this today in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 5 through 9. The Bible says, Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Any parents in here? Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. In other words, God is saying, I want to be a part of every part of your life. I want the word, my word, to be infused into the soul of your humanity. I want my word to come into you and to go through you, into your children, and into your children's children, and into your co-workers, and into your, ready for this, your haters, and your enemies. So he's saying, get this thing inside of you, so that this thing will come out of you. And I want to give you three reasons today, three reasons in your outline, short and sweet, three. I was going to do four, but I'm going to do three. And so three reasons why God's word is a spiritual weapon for your life. If you're ready, say I'm ready. ready. Number one, God's word inspects me. This is where you usually get at least three amens, but probably not 1,500 God's word inspects me. Amen. Thank you. 
It's like starting an old 1975 motorcycle. Hasn't been started in a while. You got to kick start it a few times. Finally, it gets going. David, David said this, this, this in Psalm 26.2. David said, test, test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Have you ever prayed like that? Because I know a lot of people just like, God bless me. God bless me. God help me. God get me out of this situation I got myself into. God, will you do a miracle? Will you do the impossible? Or, you know, if we're not praying for miracles, we're at least saying, God, thank you for my food today, three times a day. Unless you're like a fitness nut and you're just praying all day because you eat all throughout the day. <laughs> protein here, protein there, here, there, everywhere, where, protein. I told you I'm going to be a fighter. I got to get with it. And so it's an interesting thing that he says to God because he says, test me and try me. I, I, I don't know. Y'all said you prayed that. I don't pray that. Lord, test me. Try me. I'm like, God, keep me out of the tests and keep me out of the trials. And, and can you still make me more like you? Right? David's like, God, test me. God, try me. Examine my heart and examine my mind. See, this is what the Bible does. Let me tell you something. When you begin to read God's word, God's word begins to read you. It starts to read every part of your life. It inspects you. It examines you. It tells you all about you. That's what the power of the word of God is. I want to read Hebrews 4.12. It says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Yeah, let's dig into this for a minute because I can sit down with you and you, I'm only going to know what you tell me, right? And so this happens all the time, like, you know, especially like, say, like, you know, you're, you're, you're at odds with your loved one. It could be your wife, your husband, it could be your child, it could be a friend. And, and, and then one person tells their side and the other person tells their side, but they're only telling you what they want you to know. See, with God, there's nothing he doesn't know. And instead of us telling God, his word tells us about us. It's that deep. God's word is living and active. Okay? What does that mean? In other words, it carries life. It carries power. And it carries the power to transform your life. Okay? He says it's living and it's active. Now, this is interesting because if you remember... In the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John, he has an entire chapter that he ties the word, capital W, to the Son, capital S. The Word is the Son of God. The Son of God, Jesus, is the Word. I, I want to read it to you. In John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. What is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus was there in the beginning. He was with God. And in the beginning was the word. And the word was God. Then if you fast forward down to verse 14. It says in the same chapter of John chapter 1. The word, capital W, became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth so he's saying that the word is living and active because the word died and rose again the word has come back to life the word is jesus christ the Messiah. The Word is living and active because the Word is alive and Jesus is alive. He says, sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it cuts to the heart. It cuts to the heart. It, it, it's like 
some of you are surgeons, and, and a surgeon's got their little scalpel knife, and they're just scalpeling away with precision, and they can cut. You got an oncologist that's going to cut the cancer out, and he goes in or she goes in, and you start, you start, I don't know what you do, but what you do is good, and you cut out the bad stuff, right? And that's what God's word does. It's a two-edged sword that cuts and it divides even the soul and the spirit. It cut, teach God, show me my own motives. Test me, try me, examine me. That's what the word of God does. It shows you even your own motives, even your own intentions. Listen, God's word will show you the truth. It will show you who you really are. There is no greater measuring stick for your life than the Holy Bible. And it sizes you up. I mean, last week, uh, for the 38 of you that were here, I talked about how God wants us to bear good fruit. Good fruit. He wants you. What does that mean? It means he wants you to become spiritually mature. And you know, he wants you to become a man of God. He wants you to become a woman of God. He wants you to bear good fruit, be more loving, be more kind, be more generous, be more disciplined in the word, be a disciple, right? Be more tender, be more compassionate, be more sacrificial, bear good fruit. I want you to bear good fruit, become spiritually mature, become healthy, and grow up. And I said this last week that healthy fruits require healthy roots. So it's all about the root system. You and I are so focused on the fruit system and what the external looks like that the internal sometimes is decaying and dying because we're not focused on the root system. The root system, you don't see it. It's happening behind the scenes. It's not flashy. It's not pretty. Nobody ever pulls a root and goes, oh, look how beautiful. You say the rose is beautiful. You don't pull a rose bush out and go, that is the finest root I've ever done seen in my life. We're so focused on the external. And, and so healthy roots produce healthy fruits, but healthy fruits cannot be produced in unhealthy soil. So you have to look at the soil that your life is planted in and the people that are in that soil and some of those, you need to pull the weed. See, I'm a pastor, but sometimes I almost say the wrong thing. And the church is big enough and wide enough now. I only want to be on the news for good reasons. I don't want to be the cursing pastor. There's a good chance, though, one day that will happen. But healthy roots require healthy fruits. Now, now this is what I said last week, and I, it's, 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 I got to say it again, is that there's a lot of people, too many people, many people, probably the greater majority of men and women of God, they become tumbleweed Christians because their root system is weak. And so when the storms of life come, they're easily uprooted and they're tumbling wherever the wind blows. But when you're deeply rooted in Christ, you cannot be shaken. When you're deeply rooted. So healthy roots produce healthy fruits. Now listen, God's word, the Bible, is the ultimate fruit inspector. It's the ultimate fruit inspector. Okay, listen, I, just take one one book of the Bible, the book of Proverbs, 31 chapters long. And when you read through Proverbs, this is what you read about. You read about fearing God, revering God, being in awe of God, managing money God's way, giving God your first fruits, being generous, being faithful, walking with integrity, being kind with your mouth, watching your mouth, put a guard before your mouth, being a good friend, not being a lazy friend. Don't be around lazy friends. Work hard. Avoid the wrong kind of people. Connect with the right kind of people. Don't gossip. Don't slander. Don't lie. Don't manipulate. Don't get drunk. Uh-uh. Not good for you. Don't lust. Don't chase money. You're chasing your tail. Run from the, run from the, run, run from the adulterer. 
run from the adulterer. Be, be a righteous man of God. Be a virtuous woman of God. These are just a few things. Through Proverbs chapter 31, imagine what the entire Bible could do for your life if you started putting it inside of your soul. When you read the Bible, it inspects you. The thing I like most is that it inspects me, but nobody has to know about it but me and God. Like if you're inspecting me, you're probably going to go tell somebody. You know, if God's inspector was like, oh, that was tough. That was painful. Yep, I am definitely not right in that area. But God loves me enough to correct me firmly, but to correct me lovingly. And that's the part that I personally love. It's incredible because he loves you and he cares about you and he wants you to walk in obedience of his word. You know, some people think the Bible is like a book of bummers, right? It's like rules, regulations. It's a book of bummers. You know, life sucks. I can't kill somebody. I mean, it says right there, shall not murder. What a killjoy. Like, it's like, so I can't commit adultery? Man, there's like millions of fine women out there. Goes against my human nature. Right? Hey, it's not good to gossip. It's not good. It's like, what a book of bummers. The, the reality is, is that it's the total opposite. It's giving you guidelines because it's a book of blessings. And if we live in those blessings, we're going to have the most free life, the most victorious life that we've ever lived. So it's a book of blessings. And your life will be blessed. He says this in Psalm 128.1. He says, happy are those who obey the Lord, who live by his commands. My most unhappy times in life were when I tried to do life my own way and not God's way. But it seemed like it was going to make me happy. And then it didn't make me happy. So God's way makes me happy. Let's move on. This is going to be the world's longest sermon at this rate. Number two. Second reason God's word is a weapon is because God's word corrects me. Some of y'all need corrected. I mean, we all need it, but some of y'all really need it. Corrected. And I, I think... I think as humans, we ought to be more open to correction. I think especially as adults, we expect our kids to be open to correction. But when it comes to us, I, I, I get all defensive and offensive and who you think you are. And, hey, let me ask this question. If somebody said the truth about you and it wasn't good, but it was going to correct you, if it was the truth, what does it matter what they're like? See, because what we do is we justify it based on, well, they're stupid too. So, change your own stupid. I mean, stupid has a point, right? Stupid has a great point. And so, I think, I think we ought to be more open to correction, even discipline. Even discipline. And, and, and it should be considered a good thing. Jer Jeremiah 10, 24, Jeremiah, it, it says this. Jeremiah said, so correct, so correct me. Correct me, Lord. <laughs> but please be gentle. I feel that. Don't, don't correct me in anger. I would die. <laughs> I mean, how real can you get? Yes, correct me, Lord. However, if thy will is for my correction to be sweet <laughs> and not sour, and I'd like to live through it, if that's at all possible, correct me, discipline me. As painful as this sounds, we ought to make that our prayer. We ought to make that our prayer. God, correct me. God, correct me. It's not the most exciting moments in life, but it's the most growing moments in life. You will experience more growth in the correction and the discipline than you will in any other moment in your life. And so Hebrews 12, again, going back to Hebrews in verse 11, it says no discipline, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. How many of your parents in here today? You're a parent. Even if it's an adult child, you're a parent. Raise your hand. You're a parent. 
It's good. It's a lot of parents. How many of your children? I should be every hand in the building. You're like, ah. Oh. I'm not sure. Am I a child? Oh, yeah, I am a child. Uh, could you imagine what your child would be like if you never disciplined them? Some of you know what they're like. You're like, I have one of those right now. If you never discipline your child, they would be the problem child. They, they would be spoiled brats, and they would be a problem in this world. And the same is true with us, is, is God wants to correct us. God should be allowed to correct us. Oftentimes, God uses his word to correct us, and we need to be open to correction, open to discipline. Uh, the Bible says a lot about the Bible. It has a lot to say. I'm just scratching the surface today. But in 2 Corinthians 3.16, this is what it says. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. Do you believe that? Because I certainly do. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So th this verse is powerful and it's practical. In one verse, it outlines the entire purpose of the Bible. Hey, what's the Bible for? I don't even know if I believe in that book. I don't even know what it's about. I've never read. I had a guy one time as a friend I, I went to high school with, and, and I gave my life to Christ, and I was all on fire for Christ. And, uh, you know, nowadays we'd be walking around, like, with our cell phones as our Bibles. You know, but back in the day, we had Bibles that were leather bound and, and, uh, and we took a lot of pride in walking around with those. You have a Bible? No, that's a notepad, almost. Strike one. Travis has a, of course I have a Bible. I have a, a lot of Bibles, Grace. Other Travis? Oh, look at that. Oh, his and hers, that's great. It's wonderful you have one. It looks kind of unused, but I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you guys. You sit in the front row. Anybody that sits in the splash zone is going to get splashed eventually. It's funny because I had this friend, and he said, uh, he said, you know, why are you always carrying a Bible around now? I said, because I gave my life to Christ, and, you know, the Bible is his word. And he said, he said, uh, I mean, I don't really think you need to have to be carrying it around all the time, every day, all day. And I'm like, no, I do, actually. And then I looked at him and I said, do you believe in the Bible? And he said, yes. I said, you believe in it? And he said, yes. I said, have you ever read the Bible? I've read some of the Bible. I'm Catholic. <laughs> I didn't ask what religion, what church, like... As, I read some of that. I said, so you, you've, not you've not read the Bible, though. You don't know the Bible, but you're telling me you believe in the Bible? See, I think that's a lot of people even today. It's like, well, I believe in the Bible. I don't read the Bible. And if you don't read the Bible, you don't study the Bible, you don't memorize the Bible, you'll never experience the power of the Bible. The Bible is loaded with power. And the, the power is, is unending. It just goes and goes. But I, lo I love this verse because he says, here's the purpose of the Bible. First of all, all Scripture from Genesis to Revelation chapter 22, all scripture is God-breathed. Another translation says that it is inspired by God. All scripture inspired by God. That's the King James Version. All scripture is inspired by God. Yes, men, men wrote the Bible, but it was inspired by God. And then he says, here's the point of the Bible. It's useful to teach you, to rebuke you, to correct you, and to train you up in righteousness. And to equip you for every good work that God has already prepared for you. It teaches you. It rebukes you. It corrects you. It trains you. It equips you. This is why David said in Psalm 119, almost the whole chapter is about the Bible. Psalm 119, 105, David said... Uh, uh, verse 11, David said, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. 
Why? Because it's that powerful. It's alive and it's active. It's actively working in me. The Bible, it corrects me. It corrects me. We need to be corrected and it gives us a standard, a value system that we can look at and then assess our own lives to it and say, yeah, I'm a little off right there. And we need a standard because one thing I've noticed about the world is that the world has no standard. The world standards are always changing, whereas the world standards are never changing. The word, it never changes. The world's standards, they are always changing. Listen to whatever the new social sentiment is. I'm sure that offends some of you. The, the, the sentiment. What is the sentiment today? Now, you know, I know there's this movement and that movement and another movement and every other movement. I don't care about movements. What I'm asking you to consider is what does the word of God say? What does it say? What does the Bible say? With all due respect to politicians, we have politicians in our church. With all due respect, I think politicians are trying to do good work for the most part. I think that with all due respect to politicians, listen, I, you, some, of you love, some of you love your politician more than you love Jesus Christ. Some of you talk more about which side you're on than the side of God that you're on. Some of you talk more about being a left or being a right than you talk about being on fire for Jesus Christ. I mean, it's crazy. It's like, like let's, let's vote for this guy because of this. Let's don't vote for that guy because, hey, listen. You can vote for whatever guy, whatever girl you want. The only one that's ever going to fix this world is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And, and, and we need a standard. And, and I love that God's standard has never changed because, listen, it, can you imagine? Can you imagine the, the standard that Peter lived by, that Paul lived by, that Abraham lived by, that Moses and Noah lived by the same standard 2,000, 4,000, 5,000 years ago is the same standard today. And it hasn't changed. You know, when you have a successful company and you start growing, you have to start changing some stuff. You have to start evolving into the growth of the company. You might have to change some of the language, some of the bylaws. You might have to change some of the information. You might have to deviate a little bit on how you used to do things because now you got to do things a little way uh, differently to accommodate the growth. God's word has never changed, ever. It has never changed. And listen, can you imagine what the world would look like without Christians, the church, or the Bible? I mean, even a non-believer has got to believe in the Bible standards. If you're here today and you're a non-believer, I'm pretty sure you believe that loving your neighbor as yourself is a really good idea. I'm pretty sure that believing in loving your enemies is a good idea. I'm pretty sure turning the cheek, yeah, you're down with that idea. Thou shalt not murder, that's a good idea. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Good idea. Don't lie. Good idea. Don't steal. Good idea. Don't covet. Good idea. Don't get greedy. Good idea. It's a standard. What would this world be without that standard? It's pretty good standards for living. Let's look at number three, the third reason. See, I, I went to two services and said, you know what? I'm just going to cram everybody in here. We're going to build a balcony. We are going to build a balcony. It's going to seat like 500 people. And uh, I said it last week, clap now because we're going to raise money for it here in a few weeks. So get your praise out now. Get your money out later. But, but it's funny because uh, I did it so we'd have more turnaround time between services. But now that I did it, I just preach longer. So... <laughs> didn't do, do me any good. Number three, though, is it's fine for you because you're in this service already. <laughs> the next service would be like, I can't find a parking spot. And it's okay. 
Number three, God's word protects me. It's a weapon, like a shield around my life. You know what is cool about God's word is it protects you even when you don't protect yourself. Isn't it crazy? It'd be like you're going to go to war. And my father-in-law is a Vietnam, he's a Purple Heart vet. My brother-in-law was in the Marines. I'm going to be in the UFC. And so <laughs> the ultimate faith champion. And so, uh, hey. And so it would be like, you know, you have, you, have your, you have all your ammo, you have your weapons, you have your, you know, you have your fatigues, you got your helmet, you got your boots, but you just decide like, I'm going out naked. <laughs> I, I don't know about a shout right there. Like, <laughs> it's a little weird, but you know. I felt like I need to hide behind my podium a little bit. And, and you're running through, like, you have nothing, but, but you're fine because God is protecting you. And he protects you in spite of you. And I think that's pretty amazing that his word protects us. One of the greatest examples of this is in Matthew chapter 4, and it's the temptation of Jesus. You guys remember this story? Jesus was tempted, not once, but three times, by the devil. And I, I love this story, so I'm going to navigate through it just a little bit. So Jesus would, and by the way, temptation is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. It's when you give into the temptation is when it converts to sin. And it doesn't mean it has to convert physically. It could have converted already Mentally, once you make up your mind, it's made. And Jesus said, where your mind goes, your body goes, right? Proverbs said, your, your, your life is shaped by your thoughts. Out of the abundance of the heart, he says, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. And so he ties the heart to everything, the way you live, the way you walk. So temptation is not a sin. It's giving in to the temptation that's a sin. We're all tempted. But Jesus is the only one who never gave in to temptation, and so this is what I want to read to you. Look at it with me for a minute. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. <laughs> Hold on. This is wild. I'm going to read it again. Then Jesus was led by the capital S, spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil so in other words the spirit of god led the son of god to be tempted by the enemy of god like kanye says huh <laughs> some of y'all going to go listen to every kanye song to try to find it It's similar to last Sunday. I talked about the apostle Paul was given a thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan that God decided to use, right? So in Jesus' case, he was led into the wilderness by the spirit of God to be tempted by the enemy of God because God's way ahead of time anyway and he already knew ahead of time what was coming and why it was coming. He already knew his son was going to be tempted. In fact, his son, he knew, would be tempted three different times. So let's keep reading. Verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You would be too. Don't you like that the Bible puts that little piece in there? He was hungry. He had not eaten for 40 days. He was hungry. Okay, he was fasting. Now, let, let, let's move on, okay? Now, temptation number one, here it comes. Verse three, the tempter came and said, if you are the son of God, I, I just, 
This is comedy. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I just want to stop for a minute. Because is anybody competitive in here? If you're competitive, raise your hand. Like you're, it, let me ask it this way. If you're like ultra freakishly competitive, raise your hand. Okay, that's me as well. My wife is, we can't even play a freaking game of Uno without marriage counseling. Like it's on. It's Uno, you liar. Show me the other cards. And, and, and so if I'm competitive, the devil's like, if you are who you say, it, like, okay, I'm five, nine and a half with my sneakers on. I'm five, a full five, ten. And I say that for a couple of reasons because a lot of times I go to the lobby and then you guys, I've had this comment. I get it once a Sunday, probably. Oh, I thought you were a lot taller than you are. <laughs> you ever think before you talk? Like, I'm going to just, I, I'm going to now respond with, well, I thought you were a lot skinnier than you are. I said, that's, I mean, hey. And so, but if I'm challenged and I know I can do something, I'm doing it. So when I was in high school, this, this is the truth. I know some of you think that your pastor's gone crazy. But I could dunk a basketball, a real one, okay, on a 10-foot rim. Now, now, when people would say, like, nah, I got, I got two things going against me. According to what we all peg people and define people as. First of all, you're short. Second of all, one brave soul in the whole church room. And second of all, you're white. Really white. It, that's the other thing. People get close and they're like, oh, you have freckles? Tell me about it. And, and, and Jesus could have very easily rose to the occasion, and, 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 and I guess he would have lowered himself to the occasion because he doesn't need to respond or prove anything to anybody. And, and so Jesus says instead, instead of turning the, he could, have, he could have turned the whole arid desert into like a loaf of bread. I mean, we know he was the miracle maker, so all he did was miracle. After miracle, he could have been, oh, yeah, that's fine. Like, wouldn't that have been so And Instead, Jesus says this in verse 4. He says, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is he saying? What is he saying? What is he saying? Jesus is quoting directly from the book of Deuteronomy. In chapter 8, verse 3, the devil tempts him, and Jesus quotes scripture. The devil tempts him, and Jesus quotes scripture. And he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on the word of God. Why did he do that? Because the word is powerful. It's alive, it's active, and it protects you. Temptation number two. Verse 5, the devil came and took him out to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands and they will not strike your foot against a stone. Impact family, this is buck wild. Because now... The devil's quoting scripture. Well, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on the every word that God speaks. And the devil's like, oh, we're quoting scripture? Well, I got some from Psalm 91 for you. Throw yourself off the high place, and the Bible says his angels will catch you. Here's a question I have for my Impact Church family. Do you know more scripture than the devil? Do you know more scripture than the enemy of God? And so Jesus goes back to Deuteronomy because you don't have to go back to anything else. Also go back to the word of God again. Deuteronomy 6.16, don't put the Lord your God to test. 
Don't, don't test God. Don't test me. Then temptation number three, verse eight. Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain. Listen to this. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Verse nine, all this, I, all this I will give you, Jesus, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written. And he goes back to Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 13. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. I mean, if all of this wasn't ridiculous enough, now the devil's, listen, now the devil, the devil's quoting scripture and then the devil's acting like all the kingdoms belong to him. That's a pansy. That's a pansy, another pansy move. Taking credit for something I did not do is a pansy move. That's what the devil does. That's why Jesus called him the father of lies because he is a liar. My favorite part of this whole passage is these four words of Jesus. Away from me, Satan. Say it out loud. Away from me, Satan. Did you know that you have the power of God Almighty within you? The power of the Holy Spirit within you that has given you the authority to rebuke every devil, every demon, every satanic, every satanic spirit. Sometimes, listen, Impact Church, you need to understand the power that's in you and you need to say, away from me, Satan, in the name of Jesus. I bind you, devil, in the name of Jesus Christ and all the power of God's word. Get behind me, Satan. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the weapons that you've given us that are not weapons of this world, but they're weapons from your word. God, teach us how to fight this spiritual battle with you as our leader, as our king that you guide us and protect us. If you're here today and you've never taken a step in your own life to make Jesus Lord of your life, would you do that right now? I want you to pray. Jesus, I give you my life today. I surrender my life to you today, God. I wanna live for you because you died for me. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins, making me a brand new creation, making all things new. God, I pray that you would be with us today and go before us, protect us as we leave this building and walk out into this mission filled as missionaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all say, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life.